Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray. God, you are our refuge and strength, and you are present. And we are so thankful to be in your presence this morning. We are so thankful that you have come to meet each of us right where we are. Lord, whatever's going on in our lives, whatever we've been through, whatever we're celebrating, whatever we're pressing on through, whatever the case may be, you come to meet us right where we are. And Lord, you love us too much to leave us there. And so in your presence, we pray in accord with your Holy Spirit that you would transform us this day, that we would be more like Jesus that we would leave this experience different than when we entered it, and Lord, that because of that, because of your work in us today, the world would see more Jesus and less us. And so, Lord, open our minds to receive what you would speak to us today. Open our hearts to be transformed. And Lord, may we, may we shine brightly the light of Jesus as a result of our time with you today. We pray these things trusting you in Jesus' name, amen. It's always interesting to see what God uses to bring people to Christ in the moments that he uses. For some people, it's just the logic of the simple gospel. Over the years, I've had the opportunity to share the gospel message, the very straightforward and simple gospel message with people. And for some people, it is just that logical presentation. It makes sense. But that's not most people. Most people have something that accompanies the logic of the simple gospel, and, and it may be crying out to God in the midst of adversity. Many of us have been there, where the world was crumbling around us, and we prayed, Lord, help. And I love that our God loves to answer that prayer, Lord, help, for in it is utter surrender and complete submission unto Him. Lord, help. For others of us, it comes as we witness the grandeur of creation's majesty. We look out over the ocean or the Grand Canyon, or we get in a plane and go above the clouds, and we see just how amazing creation really is, or even as we study intricately at the smallest levels that we are able to observe how everything fits together so beautifully. We see that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his majesty and we come to him by faith. Sometimes it's seeing God's work in other people's lives. You know, one of the things that we prayed for with Todd in the back before we came into the baptistry was that God would use his willingness to obey Christ by stepping into the waters of baptism to speak to all of us because all of us have a next step of faith that we need to take each one of us, and it, it may be baptism, and it may not be baptism. You may have already done that, but, but your next step may be different, but you know, God doesn't save us to leave us where we are when we get saved. God saves us to take us to where he wants us to be, to make us into what he created us to be in the first place. And so we thanked God that Todd was willing to step into the waters of baptism because his obedience to God in that moment and his willingness to trust Jesus enough to follow him speaks more than any words any of us could say. Well, however it is, God gets to us, doesn't he? 
Today, from the Word of God, we're going to see two prisoners' lives speak to their jailer, and we're going to see the transformative work of God in their story. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me back to Acts chapter 16. We've been in Acts chapter 16 a lot lately, but there's a lot going on here. Today, we are going to look specifically at verses 25 through 34, and if you're in the Red Pew Bible here in front of you in the room, that is page 925, page 925. What's been going on is that Lydia came to faith. Some of you remember that we talked about Lydia some time ago there in Philippi. Lydia was a seller of purple garments. And she had gone down to the river to pray with some other women. There was not a synagogue there, and Lydia was a God-fearer, and so there was no place for her to go to worship on the Lord's day. So she went down to the river to pray, and that's where the missionaries found her. And they shared with her the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and there in that river she was baptized, and her whole household came to faith, and they were baptized. And God began a work there in Philippi, which was a colony of Rome and known as Little Rome. Well... When God moves, so also does the enemy. As I've said before, if you want the enemy to leave you alone, just don't place your life into the hands of Almighty God. You're not a threat to the enemy. But if if you're going to trust and follow Jesus and seek to live out your faith instead of just espousing some theory, but actually living out your faith in a way that glorifies God and makes the world a better place, the enemy's going to come after you. There's a target on you. You should know that. The Bible itself says that there is an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's real. So the missionaries are being used by Almighty God to change the city of Philippi, an important city within the Roman Empire, and the enemy doesn't like it. So here's what happens. They meet a a slave girl who has a demonic spirit that allows her to fortune tell. That's how that works, by the way. She has a demonic spirit and she is owned by human beings who are making good money off of her. Well, she is delivered by the hand of Almighty God through the ministry of these missionaries in the name of Jesus Christ, and her owners get mad. They did not want to see her set free because if she's set free, they don't make as much money. So because they got mad, they turned on Paul and Silas, and they stirred up the city against them, and Paul and Silas were beaten with rods and imprisoned. So when we pick up with Paul and Silas here in just a moment, we're going to meet them in the jail. They are shackled in the jail, all because God used them to set a slave girl free, and her owners didn't like it. Well, we're going to see how God would use their witness, even in jail, to transform their jailer's life. So the theme for today's message is the Philippian jailer decided to follow Jesus and his life was transformed. The Philippian jailer decided to follow Jesus and his life was transformed. Look with me at verses 25 through 29. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. 
But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Our first point today is this. The Philippian jailer followed Jesus to a new revelation. The Philippian jailer followed Jesus to a new revelation. Now, I don't know what the story was in the Philippian jailer's life. He is working in a colony of Rome. He is working in a city known as Little Rome. Uh, He's probably got aspirations of grandeur. You know, Rome was a pretty big deal, and you could move up within the ranks if you worked really hard. And so I don't know exactly what was going on in his life, but at this particular moment of time, he was in this Roman colony, and he was the jailer. And he had had prisoners brought to him, and he had imprisoned them. And he put them in shackles, and they were safe in the shackles, and all was well. He was probably annoyed having to listen to them pray and worship while they were sitting there in jail. So I want you to think about the perspective of Paul and Silas in this moment. They're unjustly jailed, and what do they do? They pray and they worship. James tells us in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So Paul and Silas were simply doing what you're supposed to do. They're having a hard time, so they prayed. But yet their hope was rooted in something greater than their circumstance, and so they praised. And you can pray and praise regardless of your circumstance. That's exactly what's going on. But listen to what else is happening. The other prisoners are hearing them. And I bet the Philippian jailer was hearing them too. Actually, when Paul was imprisoned in Rome and wrote his letter to the church at Philippi, we know that he was chained to a member of the Roman Imperial Guard. And he said, you know, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And as long as I go on living in the body, it will be Christ magnified through my life. And I bet every guard that had to be chained to Paul got tired of hearing him talk about the majesty of Jesus Christ. But Paul and Silas were in the Philippian jail talking about the majesty of Jesus Christ. And those words, unbeknownst to the Philippian jailer, were likely laying a foundation in their hearts for what God was getting ready to do. You know, the way we worship speaks to people. It really does. Jesus said that God is spirit and God desires worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. And one of my favorite quotes in all of contemporary Christian literature comes from an author named John Piper in a book entitled, Let the Nations Be Glad. This is from page 35 in my copy. He said, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. 
It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. What is God doing? He's using the worship of these prisoners for missions to speak to the heart of the other prisoners and of the Philippian jailer. So when the Philippian jailer witnessed this miracle that although the doors had been opened and the bonds had been set free, he thought it was all over for him. His climb up the ladder was done. He had let the prisoners escape. All is finished. So he drew his sword and was going to take his own life. And the prisoners speak up and say, don't do that. You're good. We're still here. Although they had been set free by the miraculous movement of Almighty God, they were content to remain sitting in the prison because they knew that God had a greater purpose for their being in the prison in the first place. God doesn't waste anything, and he wasn't going to waste that. And so God who was there with them, as Jonathan just saying, God who was there with them was empowering them and encouraging them and enabling them to fulfill the purpose for which God had sent them there in the first place. And that wasn't just to get out of jail. That was to change eternity by their witness in the life of the Philippian jailer. He didn't know what to do with that. So he falls on his face before them. And watch what he says. Look with me at verses 30 through 33, or 32 rather. Verse 30. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. Our second point today. The Philippian jailer followed Jesus to an eternal salvation. The Philippian jailer followed Jesus to an eternal salvation. Having seen the miracle that he's just seen, that the doors of the prison are open and all of those shackles that he had so carefully fastened had been opened and yet they were still there, having heard their prayers and their praise unto Almighty God, he doesn't know what's going on, but he knows he wants that. He wants to have the sort of relationship with the sword of Almighty God who can set people free even people that he had jailed so carefully. He wants the sort of inward calm that can, that can come upon men who are unjustly accused and beaten and jailed for it. And so he asks the question every evangelist loves to hear. What must I do to be saved? Implicit within that question was a complete desire to comply with whatever they said. Because it's not just head knowledge that takes us into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. It's submission of our lives unto Jesus. To say, Lord, everything I have is yours. Everything I am is yours. Take me, transform me, remake me, make me new. That's what salvation is. It's not giving intellectual assent to the proposition of the gospel. It is surrendering our lives to the reality of Jesus crucified and resurrected. What must I do to be saved? And they respond, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. In other words, God will do such a work through you that that will speak to the members of your household and you will experience salvation. And the Philippian jailer was ready. He was willing. He was, he was ready to obey God 
You know, one of my favorite verses is John chapter 6, verse 37. It's Jesus speaking, and he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And so you may be thinking, if I come to Jesus, would he even want me? If I come to Jesus, would he even take me? And Jesus himself said, if you come to Jesus, he will not turn you away. Isn't that amazing? And so there's, there's no instance of these repentant sinners coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, save me, and Jesus saying, no, you're not on the list. No, you don't belong. No, he says, if you come to me, I will receive you. I will remake you. And I will call you my own. The Philippian jailer comes in faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. In Romans chapter 10, Paul would write to the church at Rome, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so what do Paul and Silas invite the jailer to do? Well, they invite him to cross the starting line of faith. But notice that they don't stop there. They present to him the simple gospel of believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And then they, they teach him the word of God because that was the commission that they had received from Almighty God through Jesus Christ. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. That's what Jesus said. So he had crossed the starting line of faith, but that wasn't the finish line. The starting line is the starting line. The finish line is glory. And so they begin to teach him what it means to trust and follow Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. And that spills over to his household. So watch what happens in the next verse, verse 33. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Our third point. The Philippian jailer followed Jesus to a new obedience. The Philippian jailer followed Jesus to a new obedience. Now, there are two things that happen here. Don't miss the first one. The jailer who had imprisoned these men, when he was shackling them, do you think he was real gentle with them? Do you think he was real sweet to them, patting them on the back, saying, boys, it's going to be all right. I'm sorry to be doing this. You're going to make it through. But here, let me get these on. Don't let me hurt you while I put the shackle on you. You think that's what he was? No. Now, I, I would imagine that he was probably pretty rough with them. They were prisoners, after all, and he was the jailer, and so he was going to take care of them and, and maybe even had the opportunity to get some of his frustrations out with them. I don't know. But the instantaneous change brought about in his life by the work of Jesus Christ in his heart caused the one who had imprisoned them to now care for them. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. What changed? Well, his disposition toward these men changed first. And so now he cares for them. But then the next thing he does is the first step of obedience in trusting and following Jesus. He's baptized immediately. 
He steps into the waters of baptism of his own volition to profess his faith in Jesus Christ. And what's amazing is we got to witness that same thing happen right here today. As Todd stepped into the waters of baptism to profess his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are two millennia past the Philippian jailer doing this, and we're still seeing this happen in our midst because God is still coming into people's lives and transforming us from the inside out and making us new, inviting us to trust him enough to follow him inviting us to stand in the hope that this world is not all there is, but there is coming a greater reality for everyone who trusts and follows Jesus, and that greater reality lasts forever. And so he professes his faith by way of biblical baptism, just like the 3,000 did on the day of Pentecost when Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the salvation of your souls. He was baptized just like the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized. He was baptized just like Cornelius and his household were baptized. He was baptized just like Lydia was baptized, and he was baptized just like Todd was baptized. And he was baptized just like Jeff was baptized and baptized just like so many of you were baptized because that's what Jesus calls us to do. And so he took that step of obedience, and, and the amazing thing is that step of obedience speaks because it wasn't just him who was affected, it was his entire household. One thing I would offer is this. If you're concerned about your household, maybe you have kids, I have kids, I'm concerned about my kids, that's what a good parent is, they're concerned about their kids, they should be. The first question to ask is, what example am I giving them? Because how many of you have found your kids will follow what you do more than what you say pretty much 100% of the time? Well, he gives this example, and it was beautiful. And then the last verse, verse 34. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Our fourth and final point. The Philippian jailer followed Jesus to a new joy. The Philippian jailer followed Jesus to a new joy. Again, his newfound faith compelled him to serve he brought them into his own house. He set food before them. He was hospitable to them. He ministered to them. That's, that's what that means. And then he rejoiced. He rejoiced that he had believed in God because that belief in God put within him a joy that is greater than any happiness this world can offer. How many of you have found that the happiness the world can offer is fleeting? It's ephemeral. Why? Well, because it depends on our circumstances. I mean, how many of you have found you can go to happy and away from happy multiple times in the same day? Because your circumstances can change, and they can change quickly. So what had happened in the Philippian jailer's life, this man who knew what it was to live the human experience and to go from happy to sad to numb to whatever now had a joy that would be his strength from this point forward. Because he had learned through the obedience of Paul and Silas that the circumstances of this moment will not have the final word in me. 
The circumstances of this moment do not have the final word for anyone who is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has the final word for everyone who trusts and follows Jesus. And what is that final word? That final word is life. Glorious, everlasting, whole, complete life in the presence of the one who made us and who loved us enough to send his son to redeem us. The Philippian jailer found that hope through a couple guys that he had thrown into the inner jail. He saw God work in them, and he thought maybe God would work in me too. Well, today we've seen God work in the Philippian jailer. We've seen God work in Todd's life. We're seeing God work in all of our lives. And maybe you're thinking, maybe, just maybe, he'll work in me too. Well, can I tell you? He will. If you come to him, turning away from your lifestyle of sin and saying, Jesus, I surrender all of me to you, he'll take you, he'll remake you, and he will call you his own. And he'll give you hope that will never be taken away and joy that endures no matter your circumstance. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.